Hello, everybody. This is Kevin Witham, and welcome to Season 3 of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. Jesus valued unity and prayed for it, that we may all be one. We believe unity is best achieved through relationships rather than beginning with disagreements over doctrine, practice, or ideology. We value the gathering, breaking bread, and sharing a cup of coffee or your favorite beverage. We invite you to gather with another Christian outside your particular family of churches and tell others that unity starts with a cup of coffee. So grab a cup and let's get started with another episode of the Common Grounds Unity Podcast. We're glad to have you for another Common Grounds Unity Podcast. We are continuing our conversation with Dr. Doug Foster and Dr. Jerry Taylor this week, and we have been talking about uh, the Carl Spain Center at Abilene Christian University, and we encourage you to visit uh, the website there, carlspaincenter.org. Um, again, it is at Abilene Christian University, and you'll find on that website so many excellent resources. It is a, uh, a website with a number of excellent menu tabs for different resources. There's uh, lessons there you can listen to, lectures. Um, so you can get to know more about it there. I might also say, I didn't mention this on the first podcast, um, Jerry Taylor's back with us today. And if you go back into the Christian Chronicle on October 22nd, 2018, when the Carl Spain Center opened, there was an excellent article that Bobby Ross wrote that you can access there that'll give you a little bit more of Jerry's story and talk about the opening of the Carl Spain Center. I thought it was an article worth visiting, uh, revisiting for me, because I remember when it came out uh, years ago. So you'll find that there as well. I also want to mention, we we left our last podcast uh, talking about the upcoming um, Racial Healing of America Revival and Bus Tour that is July 9th through July 17th. And what an outstanding opportunity to travel with by bus brothers and sisters in Christ, and spend time on the bus, as you heard last week, Jerry Taylor describing, you know, watching some informative documentaries about uh, some of the historical places that will be visited. Uh, the tour will take you from uh, Dallas down into uh, Memphis. There's a stop, and I know into Birmingham, Alabama, and other points. So you can go to the Carl Spain Center website, carlspaincenter.org, and get more information about the Racial Healing of America Revival and Bus Tour. And you can be a part of that uh, terrific opportunity. Um, and you'll get to know some wonderful brothers and sisters in Christ uh, on that tour and learn a lot and know how to make a difference in this, uh, this whole important matter of uh, racial healing in our nation. So glad to have back with us today, after that lengthy introduction, um, Dr. Jerry Taylor and Dr. Doug Foster. Welcome back, guys. Glad you're with us. Dr. Taylor or Doug, I just heard from someone in a congregation in Louisville who was complaining about another pastor at another church that they were woke because they were making white people feel bad about being white. Is that part of the conversation? And where does that stem from? And how how can we as brothers and sisters in Christ 
come alongside someone who has that kind of response to conviction. Yeah, I think it's going to require um, a horrendous amount of courage, um, a courage that is steeped um, in a divine love uh, that refuses to be intimidated uh, through the misuse and the mischaracterization of language. Mm. Uh, we know what it means to be woke, and it has always been a very positive thing, in my opinion. Uh, I have never been advised by any of my teachers from kindergarten all the way through college uh, to be asleep. Uh, hmm. Even Paul in Ephesians 5 uh, tells the Ephesians to awake. All of the book of Proverbs is about being awake, being wise, being perceptive, being prudent, not being a simpleton, uh, not being a fool, uh, not allowing uh, uh, con artists to uh, manipulate and take advantage of your mind. Uh, and so when we use the term being wake, awoke, it simply means being mentally aware uh, of, and, and having an intellectual capacity to look back at history and to know what happened in history, but having a spiritual maturity uh, that is qualitative enough not to allow that history to embitter you, but to embedder you. Uh, to, to, to help us to say uh, to one another who are descendants of both slave owners and slaves uh, to say that this is the past history, uh, two histories existing along the same path, but they, would, they, were, they were separate. Uh, we can't undo that history, but we can be honest with each other that that happened and to, to, to go back and revisit some of these sites together and to recapture our feelings, our emotions. Mm -hmm. um, it is a robot. Uh, it is a mannequin uh, that, that uh, would have no feelings. But a human being uh, should, should not be ashamed to feel what a human being feels. That's, that's how God created us. And God have mercy on us if we ever if we ever lose the capacity to feel uncomfortable and to feel when we look at wrongs that have been committed against people, not just in the past, but even right now. And so um, I would say that we have to find a way to encourage people uh, to find the courage to say, if you want to call me being woke, I'll accept that. But please understand that my desire to be woke is not to offend you or to hurt you, but I need to be as wise as a serpent, mm -hmm. but as harmless as a dove. That's the teaching of Jesus. Mm -hmm. Jesus never tells us to be uh, <laughs> to go into the, the world with our eyes closed. He wants us to be awake and to be aware of, of our environment so that we can respond uh, with the wisdom of Christ and with mm -hmm. the love of Christ. And so, you know, there will be people, and we have to admit this up front, 
We're going to have people in our churches that have already concluded that they are not going to be converted to the biblical gospel of Jesus. They have all already been converted to the gospel of race. Yeah, I, I think that that question is really an important one, Tina. And uh, Jerry has spoken in such powerful way to to much of um, of the truth about how that should be understood. I would say two other things. Number one, um, if a person feels that learning factual information, truth, truths about what has happened in this country makes them feel guilty because they're white. Uh, that's not that's not uh, that's not the healthy response. Nobody should be feeling guilty because they are white in the sense of having a less pigmented skin tone. Okay, white can mean something more than just the skin tone, however, because when you talk about what whiteness means and who would, who got classified as white and who didn't throughout the history of this country, that was a big thing. Because if you were if you were white, then you could go certain places and you could do certain things. And if you were not white, if you were not legally classified as white, you couldn't. But if you're just talking about simply a, a skin color that doesn't have dark pigment, that's that's nothing that we have any control over. That's the way we're born. That's something that we... That, that has nothing to do with with uh, whether we uh, should feel guilty or not. I think what 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 they're trying to get at is some of the things. I think what Jerry said was so powerful. And I would just say this: here here's the here is the danger that a lot of people fall into. And I'm talking about people like me who get. If you want to use the term, I've never used the term personally, but if you want to. You know, say, you know, I'm woke and they're proud of it and they want to make everybody else uncomfortable because they're woke and they're now superior to those unwoke white people. That's just as evil and dangerous. Satan gets you coming and going. It is wrong. It is it is evil. It is dangerous to refuse to hear the truth and to refuse to to respond as a as a person who wants to fall before the face of God, fall uh, before the the Almighty, and to ask for forgiveness and to ask for humility and in humility to ask for uh, answers to the questions about what to do, what can I do, how can I how can I remedy these kinds of things? Uh, that's one thing, and I think that's the godly way. That's the way we have to be. But there's a real temptation among some of these people, and maybe this person that you were responding to or that, that you were uh, talking about asking the question, Tina, maybe some, I'll have to say, an arrogant woke person got up in his face. And, and sometimes you do have to get up in somebody's face. And as Jerry was talking about just a minute ago, you have to do it with boldness and courage, but somehow you have to do it with humility. And, and however, however you try to get across to those people whose minds have been so closed for 
for the reasons that have nothing to do with the gospel and nothing to do with the heart of Christ and nothing to do with this this business of Christianity is all about, they've been influenced by and made to equate Christianity with some things that are just absolutely opposed to it in the political realm and the ideological realm. And, um, and sometimes you do have to get in their face, but if you come at it with your own big batch of arrogance, then that's not going to help, and it's actually you're falling into Satan's own trap. And so as a white person, I have to watch that in my own attitude. Uh, because sometimes I really, really want to just say things that that are hateful and abrasive, and that's not that's not good. That's not right. That's not what what I should do. Maybe at the heart of the problem is too much of the conversation is being directed by the secular culture instead of the spiritual community of the church. That uh, too much of the a dialogue is had in in political circles or in academic circles where you know getting at the spirit of Christ isn't the goal so there's a lot of anger there's a lot of hostility and um if if the church did a better job of modeling how to have these conversations with the gospel driving it and the the spirit right there in the center and us being people who honor Paul's statement of um being completely humble and gentle, that it would be an entirely different conversation. It's it's two people wanting to have the spirit of love toward one another, bring them to a, a, a greater place of truth and reconciliation instead of just uh, winning arguments and winning points and name callings. Hey, everybody, we'll be right back with the rest of this episode. We want to take a moment to thank Mission Alive and Central Christian College of the Bible for sponsoring this episode. Mission Alive equips leaders to start innovative communities of faith focused on transforming marginal communities. They provide church planning training, apprenticeships, consulting, and discipleship cohorts, among other resources. They can also train you to be a nationally accredited coach through Catalyze Coach Training. This 28-week credential will equip you to impact and transform your church, organization, leadership, and ministry. Learn how God can transform your life and ministry by going to missionalive.org. That's missionalive.org or emailing them at contact at missionalive.org. And Central Christian College of the Bible has low-cost, innovative, and flexible master's programs in ministry, leadership, and preaching that they want you to know about. These two-year programs are designed to be one-third online, one-third on campus, and one-third supervised ministry by an expert in your interest area. The mentoring courses can offer credit in your local ministry. Graduates like Dr. Don Mahardy and Jonathan Curtis are impacting the kingdom in deeper, more meaningful ways because of their education at CCCB. So find out more at cccb.edu front slash graduate. That's cccb.edu front slash graduate. Could you both talk to us a little bit about how dominant and non-dominant cultures and or collective versus individualistic cultures relate uh, to this whole conversation and how do these tend to complicate our ability to find healing? 
or uh, or make progress? Yes, I, I think that question makes good sense. Um, um, I believe that Eugene Robinson's book, uh, The Disintegration of Black America, uh, would, would, would provide a very good response to that question. Uh, before integration uh, took place, there was a sense of, of a strong, knit, uh, connected community uh, among African-Americans when the material resources were very limited, uh, where uh, poor black families had to depend on one another uh, for food, uh, sometimes clothing and other needs that they had. Um, and they were forced into a, a segregated environment uh, to where they had to uh, learn to depend on each other and they had you know, doctors and lawyers and professional people that lived right there among uh, other people that were very poor. And so there was a sense of, of community, uh, you know, even though segregation was, was viewed very bad in the eyes of a lot of people, there was that one positive uh, thing that, that existed during the time of segregation. Uh, but then when integration moved in, uh, whatever uh, feeling of community existed, it was totally burst wide open. Uh, integration meant disintegration for that kind of communal experience that you just described. And so uh, once the door was open, uh, you had black professionals uh, that saw an opportunity to move further into uh, the middle class, and a lot of those people left and didn't look back. And they left behind, as Eugene Robinson describes in his book, an abandoned class of people at the very bottom uh, of, of, of the society that feel like they've been uh, forgotten about, thrown away, uncared for. And that's a huge block of, of humanity in America today. Uh, but yet you have... Um, the, the middle class among African-Americans, it has grown, but it has taken on the ways of uh, the white dominant group, uh, in some cases being individualistic. I got mine, you get yours. I don't have any obligation to help lift you up. Um, that's, that's up to you to figure that out. I figured it out, now you have to figure it out. And so uh, what, what we have is that's not only going on among African-Americans, it's going on among white people, too. There's another book uh, called Coming Apart, and it talks about how many white uh, people have been born into wealth. And years ago, you had white people being born into poverty, and they knew what it was like to be poor, and they became rich, and they still had an affinity uh, with poor whites. That's not the case today. And so uh, I think that's where a lot of the, the anger uh, and the, the revenge talk that you hear going on among a lot of poor whites today is because they feel like they have been forgotten about. That just like the abandoned black uh, class, that nobody cares about us. Uh, and so uh, it's a real problem that we have on our hands and 
I don't know if people are willing in, in the middle classes and the upper classes to really rethink their relationship uh, with, with people that are on the bottom rung of our society and how there could be some affinity built between those groups again, uh, because I think that's going to be one of the ways that we, we begin healing is you got to have the social classes, um, you know, looking at each other and saying, how can we, how can we help each other? How can we, how can we experience a unity uh, on the class uh, scale? Because if you take race out of it altogether, you still got class. And so uh, you got you got some black people in the middle class that have a greater affinity with white people in the middle class than they do with black people in the abandoned class. And so that's how complicated this is. And that's why only the wisdom of God is going to be able to to help us figure out how to, uh, to at least make some progress in addressing this by the time we leave the stage of history and our children and our grandchildren begin to take the realms of leadership. I was going to say, when you're talking about collective groups, um, Jerry was talking about the fact that when it became possible for a number of black people to move up into what would be called the middle class in the United States, they did so and forgot about that, that uh, underclass, so to speak. Um, and yet, even those black people who moved into the middle class in America still experience, experienced and experience now, the kinds of repercussions that the, uh, the white supremacist ideology, the, white, the idea that, that white is superior, white is the norm, they still suffer from that. Uh, uh, Isabel Wilkerson's book, the, the Warmth of Other Sons, traces uh, three black individuals and their families who moved out of the South during the Great Migration. And uh, bringing it all, all up into the, into the 21st century, though, because these people and their, their ancestors, those who followed them, rather, their descendants, um, experienced the same kinds of things that they thought they were getting away from when they moved out of the South. They lost the community that they had in the South, and they did gain certain freedoms, but they still experienced it. And then on the other hand, that collective uh, mentality also uh, is destructive for, for whites, especially poor whites. There's a book that came out a few years ago called Dying of Whiteness, where a medical doctor looks at the kinds of laws that were being passed supposedly to, to make sure that... Uh, undeserving people, and that the idea was black people, would not get certain kinds of benefits health-wise and other, otherwise in the United States. But it also hurt poor white people. But the poor white people were in favor of it because they, of these laws, because they thought this was going to keep those undeserving people of color from getting things that they ought not to get, but it was hurting them just as bad. And so the book title itself, Dying of Whiteness, reflects that kind of attitude. And so the complexities just go on and on and on. And the destructiveness of the kinds of things that have happened because of these ideas of deserving, undeserving, superior, inferior, etc., cetera, uh, are just so, so uh, heartbreaking uh, and contrary to what we as Christians 
are supposed to be standing for. Yeah. And in, as you're saying that, I'm thinking of how, I don't know how it has happened, but it seems like in having this kind of conversation, it seems like the church has removed itself from having any influence in the things that you all are talking about. Like the thing of like uh, bridging between social classes, like where the church can say, that's not our, our, that's not our wheelhouse. We're over here doing this. How do you help the church or an individual believer see that it is the work of the church or the work of us that follow Christ to step into that space? Wow, that is uh, definitely the need of the hour. Um, what do you do um, when the prophets have become the profiteers in the name of Jesus? That we care more about offending people with deep pockets than we do about offending the one who died that Friday for all human beings. Um, and I think it takes us back to one of Jesus's first acts uh, when he went into the temple and encountered the money changers. And I think that's where the issue still lies today. It's in our relationship with the money changers and with the particular system that provides us our bread. And we've even start, started calling, back in the 70s at least, we started calling money bread. You know, we got in the bread, man, you know, not, not talking about wonder bread, but talking about money. Uh, because money uh, so believed to be uh, the ultimate necessity for human survival on the face of the earth. And that's why Jesus said that God's greatest competition would be mammon, it would be money. And so I think all of the topics that we have discussed today, uh, they all boil down into the pot uh, that deals with um, the idea of, of money and material. What do I need to survive as a material uh existing biological movement on the planet. Um, and the, the number one belief, I need money uh, to continue my, my way of life. And until the church can have an honest discussion around that particular topic, it will continue to rule and determine our conversations. Because if money is the master of the sanctuary of the of the temple it will determine uh whether or not race get gets talked about and other issues get talked about because there's always somebody who has a lot of uh financial power in many of our institutions whether they're schools or churches or whatever and if we listen more to their voices than we do to the voice of God, we will remain compromised as the church and the culture will continue to rule the day because the voices of the prophets will have been cut off and silenced uh, all by the power of money. 
Wow, that is and really I'm, rich. And I'm not, I'm not exempt from that myself. I have to, I have to face that every day of my life. That I, I know God knows that I need things. My family needs things. My children, my wife. Uh, money is a part of of how we live in the world. I know God understands that. Uh, but there is something inside of me uh, that hunts me every day. And it is, am I afraid to die? Am I afraid to, to cease living? Um, and, and the way that I answer that is, what is my relationship with money? Uh, because if I am afraid to die uh, physically, then I will do everything in my power to amass as much power and wealth as I can and to secure the weapons around me to defend that. Uh, but what happens to my life inside of me? It dies, even though the physical part of me continues to exist. And so can I make the decision to opt out and say, um, I'm willing to speak for Jesus and with Jesus and you know, let the results be the results. Am I willing to do that? I think everybody has to go into that quiet, silent place uh, where they're before the face of God and, and knows that God is listening and answer that question. Until we can do that individually and collectively, um, I don't think we'll find the courage to be able to stand up in our current hour and be the salt and the light. We got to answer that money question. It's very urgent. Well, well, this has been a inspiring, instructive, rich conversation. Convicting? I, think, uh, I don't know about not you, only Kevin, but you... I'm completely convicted. Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it's raised awareness, it's given some pathways, it's talked to the heart, and, and, and spoken out of the gospel, which uh, I, I think has, has provided our, our listeners, I know it's provided Tina and me, some help in having conversations, which is what Common Ground Unity is all about. Getting those conversations opened up, ensuring that they're spirit-led, um, that, that Christ is at the center and that, that love is, uh, is the goal, greater love for one another. So I, we can't thank both of you enough. I, I want to end just asking you both, are there some practical tools that you'd like to leave us with that you would suggest that would uh, help us, equip us in our churches to, to bring healing to the racial brokenness, both in our nation and in our churches and and even in our Christian institutions, and maybe even more importantly in ourselves, mm. um, what, what are some final things you'd both share with us along those lines? Doug, I'll let you go first. Well, I think the sequence, as is the case with um, probably anybody who's, who's done much teaching uh, would know, is that you've got to have the what. You've got to have knowledge of information you've got to learn facts you've got to know the truth you've got to tell the truth but you can't stop there because that alone doesn't necessarily transform 
as as we know. So the what, and then you've got the so what. What, what is the what is the importance of this? How does this reflect in the gospel? What does it mean for for me to understand what the heart of the gospel, what God's intention for humankind and his world is. So you've got the what and the so what, but you, then you've got the now what. And I guess that's where you're talking at this point. All these three, three things go together. Um, there are a number of resources that are available for churches uh, to get both the what and then talk about the theological or the, the biblical implications of, of the truth of what has happened in this in this country. Uh, so the, the so what, and then the now what, uh, suggesting things for local congregations, for Christian individuals to do. Um, there's a there's actually some material I think on the website, the Carl Spain Center website that. Is, uh, would be very helpful. I've got a, a bibliography that I use with churches also that has links to materials and uh, lists of materials that churches could do. I think one of the things that happened for, goodness, I don't know how long, Jerry, 12, 14 years in, in, uh, at ACU, we had a, a group that met uh, once a month called the United by Faith group. It was an inclusive, racially inclusive group. It included uh, most of the time, it included students, professors, administrators, staff, and we just sat together and we prayed together and we read books together and we told each other's stories. We listened to each other's. Uh, we called it for for a season of time our, our stories of race, and we we uh, prayed over each other after hearing those things uh, and spearing, spending time in in spiritual disciplines yeah. uh, of reading scripture together and immersing ourselves with one another. Uh, I know congregations who have done this. I know congregations that have said, no, we're not going to do that. We're not going to have that kind of uh, gathering because that's just going to stir up trouble. We don't have a problem at this church with race. And so um, I think that some of the practical things would just be very, very simple things. Uh, one, one of the things would just be simply to, to meet in one another's homes uh, if you can't uh, get the official, they want to go behind leadership's back, but sometimes you just do it because you're you're convicted and you're committed and you want to learn and you want to grow and you want to find things that are that are constructive. And so, uh, I think I sent that uh, bibliography to a couple of maybe to John and to Tina recently. Jerry has seen it, and it may, part of it may actually be up on the website. But those are the things I would say. What, the truth, so what, what's the implication for a Christian belief? And then the now, what, what do we do? Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, following in agreement with what Doug has pointed out, um, I believe that stillness is the key that unlocks the door to creative spiritual action. Sometimes we are too busy trying to do God's work for God when God needs us to be still so he can take care of his work himself. So I think the church uh, has to uh, now become modern monasteries. Uh, we have to somehow 
claim the monastic spirit uh, in our Protestant communities, um, in the Stone Camel movement, uh, and learn how to fall in love with the sound, the sweet sound of silence. It is out of the sweet sound of silence that all of creation has sprung forth out of the void, the emptiness, the nothingness. And until we can become comfortable in the presence of God's divine being with our own nothingness, we will overcome our addiction to trying to overprove that we are something and somebody. And even overcome our addiction of trying to be equal to God. And so uh, be still, Psalms 46, be still and know that I am God so you'll know that you're not God. And I think that that has to be one of the first steps that we take is to, instead of getting our churches to become more busy and programmatic uh, centered, that we need to step back and ask the church to take a season of stillness and to couple that with silence and approach God with our mouths closed and the ears of our hearts wide open. And God will begin to become the inner teacher, the inner counselor that will change people from within. God has not called us to change people. He's called us to love people and he will do the changing. And we have to create those environments to where uh, there can be um, a qualitative encounter between the human spirit and God's own spirit. And that's what the churches should be providing, not more concert-like worship services. Those are fine, um, but we need to create some spaces to where the church can take a breather and to be still and to go into the silence and let each believer become reconciled to God because there will be no reconciliation between human beings until there's first a solid reconciliation between the human life and the God life through Christ. And I would just say that as Doug has already said that that's, uh, we already have those spiritual resources um, and our treasure chest. And we just have to, as leaders in the church, uh, began to practice those things ourselves and then lead our congregants into those uh, spiritual disciplines as well. Without that, the church will lose its inspiration, will lose its breath, and will lose its relevance. Hmm. Wow. I think I'm going to have to listen to this podcast like over and over and over again to get all of the richness and there are so many things that have just sparked in my mind and heart uh, a, a desire to better understand. And I really love, Dr. Taylor, that your final thing, like we're so, we are so programmed to want like, you know, you do this and then you do this and then you do this and your advice to us or your counsel to us is to be still. And that is so countercultural right now and probably like the most important, wisest um, thing that we could listen to right now. So thank you so much. 
you. to both of you thank for you. your courage, for your understanding, for your humility, um, for leading in this way for our churches um, for such a time as this. I really pray that all the work that has been done in the past and is being done now would bear fruit um, so that these systems are changed, so that our hearts are open and our minds are clear. Um, yeah, as we as we are trying to be the church in a really complicated world right now. Amen. Thank you. Amen. Well, we've got to bring things to a close. And as Tina said, we express our deep appreciation to Doug Foster and Jerry Taylor for being our guests on this podcast and our previous podcast. It's been a continued conversation. So if you missed us last week, we hope you'll go back and listen in. I also want to close by encouraging you to uh, partner with us in Common Grounds Unity. There's a number of ways to do that. You might start a gathering in your community of unity-minded believers. Um, reach across uh, racial and ethnic lines. Reach across the streams of, of of our movement and even to believers outside our streams and come together, have conversation, pray together, think about the mission of God in your community uh, together. And let's try to be an answer to the prayer that Jesus prayed in John 17, that we might all be one. You might also want to uh, help us financially. Uh, Tina and I, we, we're volunteers in this ministry, but uh, as a whole, we're trying to do some more things in bigger ways with Common Ground Unity around the world, literally. So you might make a donation to Common Ground Unity. You can do that at our website, or you can become uh, one of our patrons. You can join our Patreon uh, subscribers list where there's additional content in addition to the essays that are on our website and on our Facebook page and these podcasts. Go to patreon.com. Uh, front slash Common Grounds Unity and subscribe. You can also find that link in our show notes. So we hope that you'll become a partner in what we believe God is doing through this ministry and trying to bring folks together. So we will be back with you once again next week for some more discussion, some more dialogue. Until then, grab a cup of coffee and build unity in your community and Thank you for being with us. Thank you for listening to the Common Grounds Unity podcast. Please check out commongroundsunity.org to learn more about who we are. You can subscribe to the essays, join our Facebook group, or find our YouTube channel. And please check out the gatherings page where you can connect with other unity-minded Christians in your area. If you want to volunteer or ask questions, please email john at commongroundsunity.org. And lastly, we need your help by donating to this ministry of reconciliation. Your donation is tax deductible. Links for donating are in the show notes or on our website. Until next time, God bless. And remember, unity starts with a cup of coffee.